Welcome to the Champs App Podcast, where we help players and parents demystify the world of minor hockey development and recruiting for both girls and boys. On this episode, I talk with former Olympian Lindsay Fry. She gives her advice on USA hockey development camps, discusses her recruiting process with Harvard University, and we also talk about Skating for Layton, her upcoming charity event, which is an amazing cause, and if you can make a small donation, that would be wonderful. I really enjoyed this conversation with Lindsay, and I hope you do too. Before we get to our guest, if you enjoyed this episode and want us to keep making more of them, please share it with teammates and friends. You can also subscribe, like, follow, and even better, it would be great if you would leave us a review. Now, let's drop the puck and get to the show. I'm very excited to have Lindsay Fry on the Champs App Podcast. She is from Chandler, Arizona. She spent four years at Harvard University playing on the women's hockey team. She also took some time off at, from Harvard to go play for Team USA at the 2014 Sochi Olympics. And she is currently the director of female hockey with the Arizona Kachinas. She's also the radio color analyst of the Arizona Coyotes. And most importantly, she'll be skating for Layton on February 21st. So welcome to the podcast, Lindsay. Thanks so much for having me. This is awesome. Lindsay, I'll start off everybody asking everybody a little bit about their hockey history. i uh, really like to focus on before the time that you went to Harvard and how you became such a great hockey player um, and then kind of how you progressed through, uh, through your youth hockey career. Yeah, so I, uh, I didn't really grow up in the uh, hotbed of hockey, so to speak. I grew up in Arizona, as you said, and uh, there really wasn't a lot of hockey here when I was growing up. Um, I think I started actually as a roller hockey player uh, after falling in love with the Mighty Ducks movies. And uh, when I was four or five years old, um, the Coyotes had come here in 1996 and rinks started being built in the Phoenix area. And so uh, one of those rinks was built in my hometown of Chandler. And so I went out, tried it out, loved it. But there were less than 20 girls in the entire state of Arizona when I was born playing hockey, like between the ages of six and 19. It was very, very small. So I had no option. If I wanted to play, I was playing with the boys. Um, so I actually started out playing with the boys, um, played boys travel hockey from the time I was a mite all the way until I was a uh, second year Bantam. And that was back when, you know, we could check at, at a peewee. So I played four years of full hit of hockey with the boys and I loved it. I was like a head taller than all of them. Um, I, uh, I was definitely a, a thumper out there on the ice. So um, I loved something. it. Can I ask you yeah. something about that, that early, you know, development of your hockey? How did you become such a good hockey player at that age so that you can compete with the boys and keep up with them? Were you doing stuff off ice? Was it multiple sports? What was what made you such a good athlete and a good hockey player at that age? No, I mean, I <laughs> I wish I had a better answer. I really wasn't a multi-sport athlete. I wish I would have been. Um, it probably would have made me a better athlete. But um, yeah, I think for me, I just, you know, I, I would practice off the ice here and there. I loved throwing my rollerblades on and just messing around in the backyard and being creative. But um, I think I was really lucky. I had some awesome coaches who were very development focused over uh, wins and losses focused. Um, one of my coaches who I had for four years, his name was Kent Schmidke. He played uh, D1 at University of New Hampshire and just a, an amazing guy. Um who really was there. I mean, our parents, I remember, would get frustrated when he wouldn't sit kids in a big game because his mindset was, I'm here to develop 
everybody, the best player and the worst player. Like I, I'm here for the kids, not for you. Sorry. And so um, I think that really paid off. He was very uh, fundamentals focused, really ensured that everybody understood what we were doing. I went to some camps here and there in the summer. Um, but I mean, honestly, I think I was just very fortunate to be pretty naturally talented. Um, and that, you know, bit me in the butt later when I got to Harvard and we'll get to that realized, one. Oh, I gotta, I gotta work hard too. But um, yeah, so that was, that he was kind of the most influential boys coach that I had throughout my time playing um, youth boys hockey. And uh, I would have kept playing to be honest through midgets and, you know, probably my whole career if I could have, but uh, you know, my goal was I wanted to play on the Olympic team someday. So I knew the next step down was, all right, I got to play division one college hockey and I wasn't going to get recruited playing on a boys team in Chandler. So my family and I, I mean, we were looking at all different options. We were looking at prep school. We were looking at, uh, there was a team called the LA Select a long time ago. But we ended up landing on the Colorado Select. Um, a friend of mine who ended up playing Division One at University of Vermont, she and I traveled from Arizona to and from Colorado uh, once, twice a month on weekends. And we would practice with my brother's boys team when we were at home. And um, so it was, it was a big commitment. Sorry, sorry to interrupt you, but you, uh, what I failed to mention at the start is you also have your own podcast called the Lindsay Fry Podcast. And yeah, yeah. there's actually a, one of my favorite episodes is uh, you talking to, I believe it's Aaron Kane. Yeah. Um, and you talk about, should you leave home to play hockey? So I would yeah. suggest all the listeners who want to just explore that topic to, to listen to that episode because you do a fabulous job of describing what your life was like uh, commuting back and forth from Phoenix to, to Colorado. Um, yeah. Yeah. And, and we, you know, and, and I appreciate the uh, plug for the podcast. We, uh, I, the thing is, is like for us, it, we knew being from Arizona that we were going to have to leave to go to college. Like there was no option. They, we didn't even have club hockey here at our colleges at the time in Arizona. So yeah. for us, I think it was, you know, we've accepted the fact that we're going to have to be away from home and away from our families for college. So we might as well be as close to them as we can um, while we're still in high school. And so I think for us, that was really a big motivator as to not leaving to go across the country to go to prep school. That was just us. Some people love it. Like some kids absolutely yeah. love prep school. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think, I think it's just, it's really personal. You have to figure out what you want. You have to be self-aware enough to know what you're going to be successful. in. I would have crumbled if I, like, I was barely mentally mature enough to leave home for college, let alone, let alone high school. Some kids are totally different. So it's, it's, it's really just what's going to be the best fit for you. Got it. And by the time you were deciding to go play out of Colorado, had you been through to any USA hockey, um, you know, select camps, either at the regional district or the national level at that point? Um, I can't remember. I, I think I might might have gone to my first regional camp. I don't know if I was eligible yet for national camp, like between eighth grade and high school. But, but my my four years that I was eligible to go to not to go to the select camps, I went to you know district and national camp all four years. My first year was actually probably one of my best years. I uh, was the tied as leading scorer for the entire camp with Kendall Coyne. Um, <laughs> Not so that's, you know, that's a, that's a good yeah. feather in my cap, I guess. But, um, yeah, so I went every year and to be honest, <laughs> um, I wish I could do it again. I like, I just, I, 
I think I just was so anxious while I was there. And so for people who are listening, who maybe are, you know, preparing to eventually go to their first one, I just was so caught up in comparing myself to other people. And I wish I had just um, really like been in the moment and been there for me and not stressed so much about like, oh, well, that girl's going to Wisconsin and that girl's going to Minnesota and that girl, like, I was just so worried about everybody else there. And I think it really distracted me from focusing on my own game, especially as I got into the later years. And now all of a sudden at the time, now it's a little different, but at the time, like those camps were your tryout for the under 18 national team. So it was just like, I just was always putting so much pressure on myself. So for people who are listening and and girls who want to eventually go to that camp, like just be yourself, play your game, play your hardest. And like, don't worry about any of the other crap going on or anybody else or any of the coach, like just play your game. Nice. Um, Can I ask you one more question about your development? Um, You mentioned, uh, you know, when you played peewees with the boys and and even bantams and even potentially if you wanted to play with them in the midgets, you had the size to play with them. Uh, I believe you're 5'8", maybe 5'9". Um, I was wondering, um, so I happen to know a girl who happens to be a similar size to you that might be related to me. And so how how do you, you know, where were you with your speed um, relative to, 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 to your peers, given your size? Um, high school, I was fine. I was, I was never, will never be the fastest person on the ice. Um, I always struggled just, and I honestly wonder if I had played other sports, if it would have been different, but like my foot speed was never my strength. Um, I saw the game really well. I was a very smart player. Um, I had a lot of, you know, skill. I had a hard shot, but I just accepted that like speed was never going to be my strength. I could get better at it, but it was never going to be, I, I was never going to be a Kendall coin. And right. I, I've, I knew that for a long time. Um, but I think, you know, I, I, I focused on, as I, you know, developed, I think in high school and in college, I think, I always used to beat myself up for not being fast and not being in good shape. And I go, okay, well, I can, I can certainly control being in better shape that, that much I can control if I'm willing to put in the work. And I hated it. Like, like not to sound negative, but just like, if you're not somebody who's just like naturally good at running or has like good stamina and endurance, it is a hard, hard hump to get over <laughs> to put in those extra hours of conditioning, you know, after practice, after workouts, whatever. So that, but I, but I knew, you know what, I can control this. So I really shifted that probably, you know, in college more than high school. Um, but I think I, you know, you had to find a balance between like, look, I recognize that I'm a big, tall player. I'm probably never going to be the speediest, quickest person out here. So how can I, find the balance between developing what I'm good at and getting even better at it to really be like that threat there, but also still develop the things I'm not as good at. And I think, I think so many people, um, you can either go like one direction, either left or right with that. And I think both can hurt you. You have to find that middle ground. Like you can either be like, all right, well, my shot sucks. So I'm never going to focus on that. I'm just going to worry about everything else because I'm never going to be good at shooting. Well, that's not really the way to think about it, right? Like you still want to be able to have a shot. It may not be the best shot, but you want to have a shot at the same time. You don't want to just assume that you're like always going to be good at the things you're good at and only focus at the thing that you're bad at for a while. So you have to find a way to kind of like 
balance what skills you're working on and find that good mix that works for you to make you the best player. And honestly, like that's what your coaches really are there for. They're there to kind of help you find that perfect mix of where you should be focusing your efforts in your development. Gotcha. And uh, while you're at Colorado Selects, um, I'm assuming the, folk, the folks from Harvard saw you either at while you're playing for them or at the national camps. Uh, describe that, that um, you know, the conversations that went on from you ending up deciding to go to Harvard University and playing for them. Yeah, um, I think it was definitely a mix of seeing me at national camp and, uh, you know, I played on the under 18 team my junior and my senior year, which you're, you're pretty much if you can make it to that level, you're going to be on every college's radar to some extent, um, or they're at least going to know who you are. Um, but yeah, I mean, Coach Stone and I had a lot of good conversations, the assistant coaches at the time, um, we had a lot of good conversations, I was probably uh, something that I'm really passionate about. Uh, educating kids on as far as the recruiting process is concerned. It's just like being able to have a phone conversation. It's amazing how kids just clam up. And I was one of them. So I can say this where, you know, they get on the phone and the coach is excited to talk to you and they want to get to know you as a person to see if you're going to be a good fit for their program. And kids just are like one word answers like, yep, good. Yeah, I'm excited. Like, you know, so it's, it's really important to have confidence when you're speaking to these coaches. Um, you know, obviously you don't want to be arrogant, but, but be confident. They're, they're talking to you because you deserve to be talked to. You've put yourself in a position to have that conversation with them. Um, so yeah, we had a lot of good conversations. I was also being heavily recruited by Cornell. Um, and to be honest was like, probably leaning more toward Cornell. Um, yeah. And, uh, but, you know, after a lot of conversations with my family, I think they, um, I, w I, I am like much more of a city girl than I am a rural girl. Yeah, um, two very different so uh, locations. Very, very different experiences. Um, but it ended up being great. And I'm so happy I, I chose Harvard. And um, I remember like the big thing for me is, you know, there are some people, there are a lot of girls out there who have phenomenal grades, could could, you know, if they're a good hockey player, they have the opportunity to potentially go to an Ivy League school. And you have some women who are like, you know what? No, it's it's not for me. I don't want to go Ivy. For me, I always viewed it as like, I've put so much time into my sport and like school, you know, I've done well in school, but I probably could have done even better in school if I wasn't playing hockey so much. So I almost saw it as like, the ultimate reward for all the time I had put into hockey. Like at the time there were no professional women's leagues, really. Um, I knew I was going to need a career after and to be able to use my sport to serve as a launch pad, to go to a school that would help me do that and build a career was, it was just, was a huge win for me. Actually, I do have a question about that. So I, I grew up in Montreal. My parents had some friends whose daughter was a goalie for Harvard in the early 80s, 81 to 85. And that was the first time I ever heard about girls playing hockey or women playing hockey. And, and she was going to Harvard. And what stuck out, stuck out in my brain is, A, girls play hockey at, at college. And two, mm -hmm. how does she have time to play hockey when she's going to Harvard? It is the top school in the world. Can you describe how you balance hockey with the academics? Because I, you know, I just think of Harvard, every course is really hard and, and how do you get through it? <laughs> um, you know, it's, there's kind of this joke that we have, like the hard part, the hardest part is getting into the school. Um, once you're there, you kind of make it as challenging as you want to make it. But, you know, the reality is we never knew anything different. 
So like, I have nothing to compare it to. I still don't. I don't know what my workload in college was relative to what somebody who was going to Minnesota's workload was. Like you just, you, you get in and you adjust and you adapt and you figure it out. Um, I mean, we would usually have like two to three classes a day. Um, you head to the rink, you do your workout, you do your own ice practice, you go eat dinner, and then you do your homework at night and you just kind of get into your routine and get into your groove. And you are always busy. I will say that. I mean, I, I think that's probably just a division one athlete thing in general, regardless of where you go. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, it's, it's really as hard as you make it. I, when I started, I was a mechanical engineering major and I hated it because really what I wanted to do was build rides for Disneyland. That was like the <laughs> ultimate dream. Yeah. yeah. And I think, I think what I ultimately realized about myself is that while yes, I would have loved to be an Imagineer, I still would someday somehow. But what I really love is being creative and being able to like put a smile on the face of kids. I get to do that in coaching. I get to do that in, you know, so many different ways now. And I didn't have to be an Imagineer to do it. So, I mean, I, I think I just got to a point where I'm like this, trying to do this degree, this very, very challenging degree while being a division one athlete and not being very good at physics isn't, isn't setting me up for success. So I ended up switching majors halfway through. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's really, it's really what you choose to make your experience. I had friends who I'm not going to say they breeze by, but they definitely, you know, didn't work as hard as people would expect, you know, the Harvard student to be working. <laughs> Got it. Got it. So speaking of working hard, um, just, uh, just due to time, I'm going to keep us moving a little bit here is you, uh, were thinking about possibly playing for the Olympics, but you had a conversation with your coach, Katie Stone, uh, about the changes you needed to make in your development to become in consideration for the national team. Do you want to just talk about that a little bit? Yeah. So, I mean, going back a tiny bit, I played on those two under 18 teams, my junior, my senior year of high school, um, came into college, like very out of shape. I thought I was going to be a first line starter. I was like third line, maybe in the mix here and there. Um, so that was a really humbling experience. And then, you know, and I really struggled to adjust to college just academically hockey. Like I just really struggled to adjust. And then two days before Christmas, my freshman year, my best friend passed away in a car accident. So I was just like a mess my entire freshman year. So my hockey performance was like, rough. My sophomore year, I had a little bit better of a year. Um, I really hadn't been invited to a senior national camp for, you know, a year, year and a half. Um, so it kind of seemed like, you know, the opportunity was fading away, but I ended up having a really good sophomore year. Um, there was, I had a game, you know, back-to-back -back games. I scored four goals in one game and three goals in the next game. And probably like the highlight of, of my, you know, career, um, so at the time, Coach Stone, my Harvard coach, was projected to be the Olympic coach. And she asked me after, she's just like, at the end of the year, we had our exit meeting. I ended up having this pretty good season. And she's like, Lindsay, you know, do you, do you want this? And I knew she was talking about the Olympic team. And I'm like, yeah, of course. And she's like, no, do you want this? And I, I thought about it and I was like, coach, do you even think I have a chance? And she was like very, she took her time to answer. She was very honest. And she's like, first three lines, probably not. But that fourth line's open for the taking. And that was like this trigger in my brain. Like I left that meeting being like, Lindsay, 
you have the Olympic coach telling you, you have a chance of making that team. Like, are you going to let this slip away? And so I said, from that point on, I was like, I, I can live like if I don't make this team, but I do everything in my control and everything in my power to try to make it, I'll be okay. But if I let it slip away because I just chose not to put in the work, then I'm going to regret that the rest of my life. So I changed everything. I mean, I changed the way I ate. I would do extra conditioning because I wasn't in very good shape. I would do extra conditioning after almost every game and practice, even if it was just like 10 minutes of doing some quick sprints on the bike, just something to like make me feel like I'm separating myself from everybody else. Um, I would stick around after practice, shoot pucks. I would not really go out with my teammates, um, which sometimes I regret that part just from like a team building standpoint. But, you know, it's what I needed to do to make sure I was going to bed early so I could, you know, be in my routine, get my homework done on time, all those things that just make you a top performer. Um, so yeah, it was, it was a big change, but it was, it was worth it. It paid off. Yeah, yes, exactly. And, and you ended up making the team. Um, yep. I, I, as I mentioned earlier, you have your own podcast. So they're by far the best episode that you have to me, or at least in, in my opinion, was the one you had with Josephine Pucci, with, which is titled what it's like to make and play on the Olympic team. So if you want to understand the details of it, uh, you know, we can have you back on the podcast another time to talk about it. But I would encourage folks to, to go listen to that podcast. So I'm going to actually transition then to kind of the end of your Harvard career where you came back after the Olympics for, by the way, for folks who don't know you, you got, you won the silver medalist. And so uh, it's, that's a pretty awesome accomplishment. Um, so we'll move forward though, to your winding up your career at Harvard. I understand you had some injuries in, in your fourth year, but you had an amazing team. Talk about deciding to, you know, finish school and then starting Lindsay Fry hockey and coming back to, to Arizona. Yeah, so I mean, our our careers at Harvard ended like just about as good as you could have. We obviously would have loved to win the Frozen Four, but we ended up being the runner-up. We won everything else we could have won that year. Um, it was it was an incredible way to go out. Um, like you said, I I had a torn hip pretty much the entire year, so I got surgery right after, and you know I was ready. I was ready to move on. I was. I think you know for me playing at the Olympics, it was. It was so unique in that I was the first hockey player, male or female, from the state of Arizona to do it. And um, I think I just, I, I, I felt a lot of responsibility with that. And I knew that I wanted to go home and make an impact in some way. I didn't know exactly what way, but I, I wanted to come home and make a difference. So I ended up going home after college, um, really had no idea what I wanted to do. Uh, I was doing some stuff here and there for the Coyotes, just contracted appearances or I would go out and do like a girl's clinic with them, you know, every once in a while. And uh, I said, all right, well, I'll run a hockey camp in Arizona. I'll run one in Colorado. I'll kind of give back to those communities. And then I don't know what I'm going to do. Like I had no plan. Um, and, the, and the ironic thing is I really didn't want to get into hockey as a career. I, I kind of looked at that as this like waste of my education, as terrible as that sounds, because all my friends were going to like work on Wall Street and going to be doctors and lawyers and getting their doctorates and all this stuff. And I was just like, yeah, I, I can't go into hockey. Um, so anyway, I was like, I'll start, I'll do these camps, see how it goes. And then, you know, I'll kind of move on from there. But what I started to realize is that, you know, there were all these other places in the country where there were girls playing, but nobody was going to see them. Nobody was going to work with them, especially like an Olympian. 
And so I was like, man, let me just, I'm going to just do some Googling of like the most random places I can think of. So I, I literally Googled Alabama girls, hockey, Georgia girls, hockey, New Mexico, girls, hockey, Oregon, girl, like just all the places where I didn't even know if there was girls hockey or not. And within my first year I had run 12 camps and in all of these kind of obscure places throughout the country. And I fell in love with it. And I, I really fell in love with the business side. Like I had no idea that I was doing sales. I didn't realize I was doing marketing. <laughs> like I just, but I loved it. And an so, yeah. So that's kind of where that entrepreneurial creative, you know, imagineering brain came into play. And it really kind of jumpstarted my, my business career where I, I realized, wow, this is, I can have a career in hockey, not as a hockey player. And um, so I ended up going to business school in 2016. Um, and yeah, ended up getting hired by the Arizona Coyotes. And you are now the director of the uh, girls hockey program with the uh, Arizona Coyotes or the Arizona Kachinas as the girls teams. And you, you have one of the most impressive uh, programs out there. First of all, uh, you now have your own arena, which I'm sure every single city is jealous of, for <laughs> your own arena just for the girls. Because I know at least in San Jose, there's always challenges of getting ice time for the girls because the uh, AAA boys always get priority. Yep. Um, and uh, talk a little bit about that, the uh, Coyotes community ice center in Mesa, whose uh, logo's right behind my head if you're watching it, this on video. Um, and then uh, maybe just talk a little bit about the kind of the, the, the different priorities you're, you're, you're putting into uh, growing. I know you had, you, you did a recent podcast about Give Hockey a Try, which we've seen remarkable success in, in the Bay Area. Uh, why don't you just talk a little bit about that? And then uh, we'll talk about also some of the, the team success that you had just a few weeks ago in Austin, Texas. Yeah, so uh, I'm very proud to be our, our president of the Kachinas program, but we, um, it, this has really been something that's been like six years in the making. Um, my counterpart, Matt Schott, and I, we both, uh, he's our hockey director for the Kachinas. We met with my dad, who was the president of our youth hockey association when we were growing up. Like six years ago, I remember it was at a California pizza kitchen, and we sat down with him, and we're like, all right, we want to start a girls hockey program. We want it to be overseen by the coyotes. Here's our idea. Go. And he started asking us all these questions and it became pretty clear that we were, we were so far away from starting this thing. Like we had no idea. Um, so we were patient and we waited and, uh, throughout, you know, the next couple of years, uh, the NHL and the NHLPA announced that they were going to start this industry growth fund. So we applied for a girls hockey specific grant and we got it. Um, so now we had this, you know, chunk of money to be able to make girls hockey really affordable. And we wanted to girls hockey historically in markets like Arizona and probably in some others has always been what we call like a, like a catch program where, all right, well, we hope that the boys teams develop girls or get girls into hockey. And then we'll just have a 16 U or a 19 U team to catch all of them when they can't play boys hockey anymore. So there was really no true development model. So we flipped that over and we said, okay, we're going to start by getting girls into the game. So we started up a program called small fries, which is for girls age five through 12 usually um and then started building from the bottom up and then from there two years ago we built out the kachinas um actually we tried to do it three years ago and just couldn't get the traction so we just did kachinas branded clinics 
And then all of a sudden people started seeing who we were and what we were trying to do. So when we fully launched two years ago, we had the buy-in and we were able to take Arizona hockey from three girls teams to nine in a single year. Um, and that's not necessarily all new growth. There were girls playing. They just, they didn't have a good enough girls hockey product to make it worth leaving the boys teams. Um, so we got all those girls over. We brought the girls who, you know, we had developed from the bottom up. Uh, and then at this year we're at 12 teams. And so what we've done now is we've kind of closed the, the loop We're we're trying to get our tier one status. Um, and then we also started up a learn to play small fries is more of like a continue to play program. So now in honor of Layton, Accardo who passed away, and I know we're going to talk about in a second, um, we started up a little Layton's learn to play program. So now we have little Layton's small fries, Kachina's development, Kachina's elite tier two, and then we're working on getting Kachina's elite tier one. And it's just a whole start to finish development model that I think rivals any program in the country. Yeah, that's, that's awesome. Um, on, since we we're going to be limited on time, I'd, I'd love to have you back on, on the podcast to just talking about you know, how you're developing coaches, what you're doing for community outreach beyond just give hockey to try, how you're helping with financial support for players who want to go through and who are seeing some success, especially from non-traditional backgrounds in, in Arizona, because that's a huge um, focus of bringing minorities and, uh, and, and other underserved groups into the hockey community. Um, but let's move into skating for Leighton. Um, let's let's talk about uh, Leighton Ricardo um, and and kind of what you're doing with her and, and the uh, the charity raise that you're doing next weekend. Yeah, so Leighton Ricardo was a nine-year-old girl who passed away from cancer uh, November 24th of this past year, so pretty recently. Um, and Leighton was just an awesome kid. She was just like the embodiment of tenacity. She was so like funny and just like spunky. I don't know, just all the words, just a great kid. Um, she was a hockey player, a baseball player, just like a super athlete. So, um, she never let her cancer get her down. She battled for about a year and a half. Um, in 2019, she was an honorary member of the Arizona Coyotes. She signed a contract for a day, um, for our hockey fights, cancer night. It was incredible. She was like, the star of the show. And I think just the entire organization, including the players and the coaches just like fell in love with this kid. So she's really been a part of, you know, just the fabric of our organization for the last year and a half, two years. So when she passed away, um, we were all just devastated and trying to figure out, you know, what, what can we do? What, what can we do to take this terrible, terrible thing, the loss of a nine-year-old kid and turn it into something positive. And I was already kind of working on this idea to skate around rollerblade around to the different rinks in town to raise, you know, awareness and excitement about the coyotes for the season. So when Leighton passed, I was like, all right, we're shifting this entire event to be all about her. So I'm going to be skating 96 miles uh, next Sunday. I'm going to start at Phoenix Children's Hospital where Leighton spent a lot of time. And I'm going to briefly stop at all the rinks in the valley um, and then end up at our Coyotes Arena, Gila River Arena. And, I, and the big thing for me, I think the reason I wanted to go to every rink is, you know, one, to raise awareness and excitement. But I think you know, nobody's naive to the fact that like there's politics in all youth sports, including hockey. And, you know, the rink operators can get mad at each other and the uh, programs can fight with each other. But when one of our own 
deals with something so tragic, everybody comes together. So for me, it was just really this symbolic way to represent the way that everybody just united around this, this little kid and her family and will continue to do so forever. Um, so yeah, it's, it's going to be a, it's going to be a crazy day. I think it's going to take me like 12 hours. And uh, so I, for, for, for folks who are listening, I actually happened to be in Phoenix this weekend for a tournament and I've been driving, driving to these rinks and they are all far apart and I haven't even come close to Gila river arena. So tell me about like how hard it is to train, how really long 96 miles is, and you're not going on the highway or like, what are the roads like that you're, that you're rollerblading on? Yeah. So, I mean, we've, we've mapped it out. So the roads that I'm going to be on are pretty nice. It's going to be more like sidewalks and stuff. I'm going to have a, uh, an escort from the sheriff's department. So oh, I'll nice. have, uh, they'll be making sure I'm nice and safe. Um, and we're lucky we have a pretty um, robust like canal system here. So I'll have a lot of places where I won't actually be on a major street and I'll be able to kind of be, you know, isolated and safe so yeah it's it's gonna be a day um there's gonna be some nhl players skating with me uh nhl alumni skating with me um but other than that it's it's gonna be pretty much just me and that's mostly just from like a COVID and a safety standpoint yeah. down the road we want to do something for skating for Layden every year um it'll probably look a little different hopefully in a in a post-covid world but yeah. but yeah the whole the whole goal is to raise money um we're raising How can money people for... donate? That's most importantly. How can people donate? Uh, I donated. Let, let folks know you. where to find it. Yeah. So you can go to ArizonaCoyotes.com slash skating. So skating without the G for Layton. Um, and then you just scroll down. There's a link says donate. Now you have different options uh, for amounts to donate. Um, and all of the money is going to go toward uh, a scholarship fund in Layton's honor that um, is going to help support little girls like Leighton who want to play hockey. So we're excited to, uh, to just, you know, I think use her memory and take just the legacy of such an amazing little kid and, you know, have that impact hopefully hundreds, if not thousands of little girls in the future. And do you want to mention any of your sponsors who've helped you kind of get through this? Sure. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> I, um, well, I couldn't do this without the support of the coyotes. And I know that's, that's kind of a cop out, but like, seriously, there are days where I have to dip out of work and they let me just go skate for hours. Um, so it's been a, it's been a pretty big commitment from them to allow me to do this. Um, I'm very lucky. The equipment is probably the most important part of this whole process. Um, on Instagram, you've been uh, giving yeah. us updates. Yes, go ahead. <laughs> Bauer, uh, Bauer provided me with skates. Mars Blade provided me with their new rollerblade chassis, which is awesome. Um, and then Connex has been hooking me up with like their best outdoor wheels. And it's amazing. I mean, like literally you probably saw on Instagram, it's shaving off like full minutes minute. on yeah. per mile, which when you add it all up for a hundred miles, like that's like an hour and a half of time that it's saving me. So it's, it's crazy. Um, laser helmets is hooking me up with some, uh, safety gear. I think, uh, not sure who's going to be my physical therapy group yet, but like, I'm going to need some PT, <laughs> I'm sure. Um, so yeah. And, and then, like I said earlier, just huge shout out to the Arizona Sheriff's department. Um, our sheriff actually, uh, Sheriff Penzone, he and his, uh, his son and I used to play hockey against each other. So we've got a little bit of a connection there. And so he was so happy to be able to help and um, it's going to be, it's going to be awesome. All right. So uh, I know you need to run. So I'm going to just ask you a couple more questions really quickly. Tell us what it's like to be the Arizona Coyotes color commentator. Oh, I love it. I, it's so much fun. And um, 
very unexpected opportunity to be able to do it. Um, I, I'm really comfortable in front of a camera and I, in, in doing this kind of stuff, like I, I enjoy it. We got a lot of media training with the uh, Olympics, but um, color commentary or just, I think, you know, in general, whether it's TV, radio, it doesn't matter. Like broadcasting is a very different world because it is live. It's, you have like brief moments where you get to jump in. So it's been a little bit of a learning curve, but I'm having so much fun with it. And um, I'm very fortunate that our entire broadcasting team for the most part is all male, but they are like the biggest supporter supporters of me. And just, um, they just like, they, they love elevating female hockey players who, you know, they see as equals. And I think that's been probably one of the coolest experiences. And then just, you know, getting to be a role model for young girls who maybe want to go into broadcasting and haven't really had the opportunity to see many women in broadcasting for, for male sports. So um, yeah, I'm having a blast with it. Nice. Um, okay. Last question. Um, so last weekend you got married and I'm sure your parents were there. I just want to know how <laughs> proud are your parents based on all of your accomplishments so far? I mean, you, you must be the parents dream kid. <laughs> well, my brother's pretty cool. Um, but no, they, they're, they're very, very proud. Um, I think of both of us and, and just, um, I think the coolest thing, like I, I, I couldn't have done any of this without them. I mean, they had no idea what hockey was. I think they skated maybe once when they were kids and for their five-year-old to be like, I want to be an ice hockey player. I'm a girl in the desert and I want to be an ice hockey player. That doesn't just happen. That comes with a lot of support. So I think for them, um, you know, I'm sure they're very proud. I think, I think for them though, it's also just like, wow, this, you know, the, the parenting path we chose to take with just supporting what our kids loved has paid off. And it paid off for my brother too. I mean, he switched from a business degree to a, a uh, videography degree in college and everybody was a little like, oh, how's this going to go? <laughs> and now he's one of the videographers for the Coyotes and travels on the team playing with the guys. So it's, I think, um, you know, I, I know the question was more how proud are they of me, but I, I just am so thankful for them for everything that they've done to just um, support what my brother and I love to do and uh, provide us the opportunities to be able to do it. So I'm, I'm, I feel honored to be able to have repaid the favor with the things that we've done. That's awesome. That's awesome. All right, Lindsay, how can folks find you online? I'm all over the place. You can go to uh, any of the social platforms, um, Lindsay Fry 18. Just make sure you spell my first name right. It's L-Y-N-D-S-E-Y. Um, yeah, I get a little goofy on Instagram. I like to sing. I like my to talk about one mental is, performance. Uh, the happy my favorite one is your Happy Gilmore uh, golf swing that you did. <laughs> yep. that, that was awesome. I love uh, I love golfing and uh, yeah. So it's uh, those those are great places to find me. I'm on LinkedIn. Um, hopefully get some camps going this summer. Um, last year I did. You know I was in Coeur d'Alene. Um, I was in Colorado. I was in usually I go to Portland, Seattle. So if you're uh, you know, if I don't go to your town, hopefully I'm, I'm near you somewhere. If you live on the Western side of the country, or contact her and tell her to come to your town or that, which would be <laughs> awesome. So yeah, you can always reach me at Lindsay at fryhockey.com. Awesome. Thank you so much for taking the time. Really appreciate you coming on the champs at podcast. Lindsay, I know you have a crazy busy day, week, all the time. So good luck with everything. And especially next weekend for the skating for Layton. Thanks so much, Ray. I appreciate it. 
I really want to thank Lindsay for coming on the podcast today. She shared some excellent advice and some great stories. I wish we could have spoken longer, but hopefully we can get her back on the podcast soon. Also, if you can support Skating for Layton, it's a really great cause. And remember, if you got something out of today's podcast, we'd really appreciate it if you'd like, follow, subscribe, and leave us a review so we can help share this important hockey information with folks just like you.